Welcome to Equosity, the podcast about all things equine, with a special emphasis on the horse-human bond. My name is Alexandra Kurland. I'm the author of The Click That Teaches, a step-by-step guide in pictures, and many other books and DVDs on clicker training. And I'm joined by Dominique Day, one of the co-founders of Cavalia. We're in the middle of a really fun conversation with Alain Lawler, Helen is a professional dog trainer. She lives with 14 Border Collies, so it won't come as a surprise if I tell you that she teaches herding using positive reinforcement. So what has this got to do with horses? Well, Helen has become balance obsessed, which is so exciting. Once that genie pops out of the bottle, there's no shoving it back in. Everything changes when you see your training and your learners through the balance lens. As you've probably figured out if you've been listening to these podcasts for any length of time, I love talking about balance. Good balance, physical and emotional, sits at the core of everything that I teach. At our first virtual science camp, my presentations were centered around rope handling and shaping on a point of contact. Helen trains dogs, but she got super excited by what she was seeing in the horsework and what she was feeling as we went through some of the body awareness exercises. So of course, once she started really exploring balance and seeing how applicable my work that I've developed for the horses is to her work with the dogs, of course I wanted her to come join us for a conversation. There's so much to be learned when we look at balance through the lens of different species. Last week, Dominique asked a really interesting question and really a key question, which is, what is balance? I answered by describing an awareness exercise that I use frequently in my clinics. And I made the observation that we don't have a sense of vertical. What we have is a feeling of what is normal. We can be very crooked, but we will read that as familiar And what is familiar is normal, which is right. So when you start to make changes, you can feel just as though it's the most bizarre thing that you're being asked to do. You'll be convinced, for example, if if you're somebody who tends to lean back with their shoulders back, especially under saddle, if you tend to ride with uh, behind the vertical and your instructor gets you to shift your balance and to be to come more into a neutral balanced position, you'll be convinced that you're falling forward on your nose. And until you look at yourself in a mirror or you look at a video of yourself and you'll think, that's just so bizarre because I would have said I was falling on my face and yet there I am really looking beautifully vertical. So this is a real challenge of finding that neutral balance. And if you followed the podcast, you've heard me talk about Feldenkrais work. A good Feldenkrais session, in a sense, scrambles what is normal, which allows us to become aware of new, other, different, and what are often more functional patterns of movement. Our old habits are just that. They're old habits, but they may not be serving us well. I'm sure many of you are familiar with the situation where you've had an injury, maybe you sprained an ankle, and you've protected that injury over a period of time. And yes, your ankle heals, 
but all the crookedness that came in while you were protecting that in injury doesn't just disappear. It stays programmed into your body and gets carried forward. So really what a Feldenkrais session is doing is scrambling up those old patterns to say, let's, let's explore something that might be a better option, more functional for you. So often after a Feldenkrais lesson, it can feel really good to move. It will feel effortless. It's a sensation that I really enjoy. And I made the comment that one of my core beliefs for horse training is good balance doesn't just feel good to me. It feels good to horses as well. That I absolutely believe that they enjoy moving well. When I was editing that podcast, by the time I got to that part of the conversation, I had been sitting for quite a while, which is not the best thing in terms of moving well. So I decided to take a break. That's where we ended the previous episode, and we're going to pick up again where I left off. Again, one of the core beliefs that I have around the horses is I, I just I just have to believe that it feels good to a horse to move well and in balance, that they derive a great as much pleasure in feeling their own bodies moving well as we do when we're moving well. I, I think that's a really important point and is especially important from a dog sport training perspective in that movements that they can do easily are going to be reinforcing, yes. intrinsically reinforcing. And as opposed to movements that are hard for them to do, which are going to be, you know, could be downright punishing. And I think that that's yet, yet another reason to want to be building balance into our training, because it's going to make the, uh, you know, especially if you're doing sports where you need, you need performance, then it's, it, the, the dog is going to find the performance itself much more reinforcing because they can do the movements with ease. That's going to build their confidence. I know with agility training, for example, one of the, this is a soapbox I, I spend a lot of time on. People try to get speed out of their agility dogs through arousal. And I keep saying, that's not how you get speed. You get speed through confidence, which comes from an, an, an excellence in performance. And so you work on make on, on building those behaviors in ways that are, you know, that the dog knows exactly what to do with their body. And so if we do it, keeping balance into the equation as we, as we do this, then it's going to make that easier for the dog to achieve those movements. And then, and then they're going to get speed with much greater ease. Yes. If you have a dog, who's- uh, you know, I think that's great for horse people who are interested in agility also, because I know personally, I don't want an over aroused horse, but to say that the speed will come from the excellence in performance rather than arousal, I think opens up the possibility of doing agility with horses because they're too big to be over aroused. It's, it's too big of an animal to have that kind of, because sometimes when I look at agility, I feel like it's just too overwhelming. You know, when I look at it personally, I'm not, you know, I'm not into dog sports, but um, I'm, I'm very often looking at dog sports because I want to transfer some of it to activities I want to do with my horses. 
but I know I don't want to be around an over-aroused horse. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> but speed, speed is fine. Speed is great to look at. You know, it can be, it can be an exercise of control as well. And never mind agility. You know, in terms of horse sports, there's the jump-offs, you know, for the horse, for people who jump, the, the tiebreakers, and you have the time jump-offs, where speed is everything. But you have to have speed and accuracy because you don't want to knock down any fences while you're mm-hmm. while you're going fast. So that control and balance and the emotional stability to be able to go right. fast but accurately becomes really important. That in a sense we we already have a form of agility, but it's ridden over fences. Um, so that's a place where we would need the the speed. I mean, there there are all these parallels between what we ask from the dogs and what we ask of the horses. And I think you, what you said at the very beginning where it's the, the importance of balance is, I think, just magnified and more obvious in horses simply because they're bigger. And and the repercussions are, are much, much more frightening if the if you lose balance, right? You can, you can get injured much more easily than you can. And I mean, you can still get injured doing dog sports, but it's not usually to the same potential that a, that a lot of people are oblivious of balance because you know i know that i will sometimes get on a horse where uh the horse is completely out of balance I try to avoid that these days but you know where the horse is, is is falling through his balance and he's heavy and i just think oh how in the world do you you know ride this and yet the person is perfectly happy because they're unaware of that this is a balance issue. It's just, well, this is how horses feel. Right, and and I think getting back to the dog agility example, one of the things that we often see, and you'll you'll watch a dog and people will, you know, a dog and handler team racing around a course and people will be like, oh my goodness, that dog is so fast. But the dog is not necessarily fast. The dog is make, doing a lot of movement. And you'll mm-hmm. and often the fastest teams look slow because there's no, inefficiency in the movement mm-hmm. and you just see this beautiful quiet slowness and and you know that's the dog that's going to come through with the clean run and the top score not the right. one that looks the fastest necessarily because they're uh, they're you know their tails waving all over the place and they're hitting the ground and scrambling to turn and and all the things that now just make me cringe because I just see ligaments stretching and popping all <laughs> over the place and, mm-hmm. and, and, and arousal problems and so on and so forth. I, I, you know, but if you see the, that dog that that's maintains the balance and that usually, um, and this gets back to the question I had for you, Alex, usually the handler doesn't look like they're moving fast either. And those teams often get overlooked because they're not as you don't watch them and go, you know, like, Oh my God, how does she do that? <laughs> it's the quiet team who is just flowing beautifully through the, through the run that can get overlooked for speed because they don't look like they're moving fast and people love speed. But if you look at the scores, you'll see that those are the teams that get, you know, that have the best scores. So my question to you, Alex, was when you're describing that team over the week and you said that the, 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 the human side of the equation, her balance and all of her movements got became, you know, her, her balance and her efficiency and, and, and quietness of her body. How much do you think the horse improved because the human was improving? I don't know if you can 
if you have if there's any way to tell that or not well you can't you, it's hard to you can't really quantify it because she was doing she was she's a very systematic trainer she was exploring the rope handling in a very systematic way with nice tight clean loops that was clearly having an impact on her horse but i would say that overall good balance the change in balance and the change in letting go of the muscle tension which is part of being out of balance has a profound impact on the horses and it can have an instantaneous impact on the horses so you talked about your head weighs two or three pounds and when you you're beautifully aligned you're not having to work to hold your head up uh, your head can float on top of your spine but then if you're leaning forward now you're having to hold up what is effectively 10 pounds or more that that takes a lot more muscle and your muscles are going to start there's going to be more tension so when you're out of balance you're having to use muscle tension and shoulders get tight they get tight for lots of other reasons too. You know, we hold the, the tension of the world in our shoulders. But when you slide down a lead rope and there's a lot of tension in your shoulders, a couple of things happen. First of all, you feel a lot louder, harsher, heavier to whoever's at the other end of the lead rope, whether it's a, a person holding the, the, the snap end of the lead rope to feel the effect of someone's handling on a lead rope or a horse or a dog at the other or a goat or a cat or a guinea pig, whatever you've got on the end of a lead rope, that you will you will feel much heavier, it will feel much more unpleasant, it will feel more forceful, it will feel like something you would like to get away from, you would like to avoid. When you can slide down a lead rope, taking all the make it happen tension out of your shoulders, it feels completely different. Now it feels like a whisper. It feels like an invitation. It feels like something that you want to listen to. It feels like it feels very safe. It feels very light. And, and it truly is an invitation to dance that you can accept. So when I'm doing the rope handling with people, and so I've got somebody holding the snap end of the lead rope. If I slide down the lead rope and I make my shoulders really tight, and then I make some subtle change in, say, my feet or my, my, my balance, the person holding the snap end of the lead rope won't feel it. And I can be flapping my feet like a, a crazy duck, and you won't feel it. But if I let all that tension go just melt away, and I slide down the lead rope, now I can have the tiniest wiggle of my toe, and the person will be backing up because they could feel it clearly. So I, I think it makes a profound change. I, I think it's it's so fascinating. And, and I again, with, as I said, I don't know how uh, much about training horses, but with dogs, they respond to our body language so like every little twitch of an eyebrow or a or, or shift in a shoulder or 
you know, it, we are so unaware of how much we speak with our bodies. And when we are out of balance, we are also sending all these different signals. Like I said, it's like a cacophony and the dog has to, you know, our dog, and fortunately for us, dogs are really smart and they, and they also, you know, have evolved over eons to read us. Yes. <laughs> so, yes. so they, they compensate an awful lot, but when you get to the point of doing dog sports, we end up with having this struggle because the, you know, we're teaching them to do, you know, more complicated things than, you know, if you just wanted to have a companion to do things with like going for a hike. And so the, the conversation you're having with your dog gets more, more complicated. And, uh, and then when we, when our bodies aren't in balance and we're doing all these things we're unaware of, it, the dogs have a lot more to sift through. And your body may be in conflict with what you're, yes. so you're, you're saying go forward, but your body is blocking it. Yes. And now you've got, absolutely. then you've really got a frustrated animal because he's trying to do what you're telling him to do, but he's, he might actually be punished for it because he went forward because your body said go forward, but you wanted him to back up or to stop or to stand there. And he thought he was doing exactly what your body was saying to do, but it's not what you thought you were indicating. Absolutely. We do that all the time. <laughs> and certainly we do that with horses, you know, the classic of, you know, as a rider where uh, you've got, especially when you have a rider who's not all that confident and they're, they're saying with some of their aids go forward and with the rest of their, their, their body, they're saying, please don't. <laughs> no. Or just like we were saying before, you know, my head is crooked and I don't yeah. even know that it is. So very often you'll have an osteopath, a horse osteopath, he wants to treat both the rider and the horse because... You know, if he treats the horse and the rider's all crooked, you know, it's not going to be as efficient. So I, I had the best example of that when I was training Panda. And I always have to add Panda as the miniature horse I trained to be a guide because not everybody knows who, who she is. So it's, it's hard to believe that people haven't heard about her if they've been listening to the podcast. But anyway, so, so I you know, was training Panda when she was little. I, and my job was to teach her to be a guide for her blind owner. And we were fairly far along in the training. And I was getting to the point where, as I was walking through my neighborhood, I would, for a number of steps, I would close my eyes. And so we're going down a familiar road and I had my eyes closed and we're going along and I'm thinking everything is fine. And then the next thing I know, I'm barking my shins against something and falling forward. And when I opened my eyes, I found that Panda had taken me across the street, up someone's driveway, up their sidewalk to their front door, and I was barking my shins on their front stoop. And, oh, you know, this is just, what in the world? And what I realized was that I have a, I have a twist in my right side and I have a, a tendency to twist to the right. But when my eyes are open, I compensate for that and I can walk a straight line. Mm -hmm. With my eyes closed, I will veer off to the right. And so I'm veering off to the right and Panda was following my body language and took, followed me right across the road. 
And of course, I'm thinking, oh, all these months of training, is this all I have to show for it? Is, is you know, that, that all along I thought she was doing a great job, but actually she's following my body language. And it was very informative. And so after that, I would, I changed how I was training her somewhat in that uh, I had taught her to step over laterally. So we would go a couple of steps then I would ask her to stop and ask, and then I asked her to step to the side. And when my foot felt the edge of the roadway, I would then click and reinforce her. And then I'd ask her to go forward and we'd go forward a couple steps and we'd go find the edge again. And pretty soon we could go, you know, longer distances. And she was understanding that staying to the edge was a useful thing to do. So we could go basically down a quarter of a mile before I opened my eyes and still be on the edge. But that was really instructive how when I closed my eyes and I didn't have that compensation from the visual information, that there was that little veering off to the side. Mm. Fascinating. That's fascinating. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we just don't, and we don't know these things. So the horses give us tremendous feedback. And when you say, you know, you're not sure about, you know, what it is with the horses, do they follow body language? It's like, absolutely. Because you, you're working with a predator, I'm working with a prey animal. So horses notice everything because they need to. Mm, they are right. so aware of balance, so aware of balance and changes of balance and movement. It, it's something that they watch for, they tune into. It's so easy for them to observe body language. And the same thing is true sort of in the other half, in the dogs. It makes total sense that as a predator, that they would be very aware of movement and body language and, and any shift of balance in another individual. Do you remember, Alex, when uh, you were coming to the Cavalia farm and you know there was this one week where we had the stilters, some oh, of the- yes. Stilters were working in the arena. They had these these stilts arranged so that they would work on sand because usually stilts are, you walk on stilts on a, a firm ground, but because this was a horse show, the footing was uh, sand. And so the, um, the acrobats had to come and practice working with the stilts on, on the footing. And you were working with the horses on the other side. We had divided the arena in two. And do you want to talk about that? Was, that? that was a fascinating experience. And of course, I wanted to gawk because I mean, the, these stilters, normally when you think of somebody on stilts, they're just sort of walking along like a you know circus act kind of thing. But your stilters are on stilts that had springs to them. So they're jumping. Yeah, they're called urban stilts. Yeah, they're, <laughs> and they were they're jumping, jumping on them because the idea was to have like a competition between the jumping horses and the jumping yeah. acrobats. I mean, it was so impressive. And they were setting up grids in the same way that you would set it up for horses. So they were they started right. out just jumping over ground poles and then they raised, they went, so and they had them spaced out just as you would a gymnastics for a horse. And then they gradually exactly. raised them up and then raised them up until they were jumping. I I want to say five, six foot jumps. Oh, yeah. And, wow, that's amazing. And what, what was so fascinating is we were working a couple of horses 
that had not been in the show. So these horses had never seen the stilters before. No, because the, in the first show, those were retired horses and there were no stilts in the first show. So these were acrobats for the show. second show. Yep. So the horses you were working with had not seen that. And, and, and Marla had one of the new horses who hadn't even been on the show. Mm, so, that's uh, right. so we had horses in the arena who had never seen the stilters. And, and yet horse, humans leaping up five, six feet in the air, none of them gawked, none of them paid any attention. Apparently it's a totally normal thing in their universe for humans to suddenly sail, you know, leaping up <laughs> six feet in the air. Who knew? That was not a cause for spookiness. But one of the stilters, the, the one who was learning to go on sand, lost his balance. And that worried the horses. So when they fell, that was, ooh, ooh, we don't like this. Which is fascinating. Interesting. Yeah. 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 Huh. It was, uh, it was fun. Uh, on, a, on a much less sort of visually beautiful <laughs> <laughs> note, I, I'm just thinking when I had horses uh, on my farm here and I uh, occasionally they'd be out with the sheep and occasionally I would have a fence breach and end up with a couple of border collie puppies who were super keen on sheep, but without training to be called off them yet because it's, it's programmed into them to, to want to work with sheep. So uh, every now and then they, I'd end up with a, a puppy or two out in the field with the, chasing the sheep around. And of course the horses would get a little bit wound up by that. And the sheep would instinctively go and hide under the horses. And then the puppies would be chasing the sheep under the horses at all. You know, it, it was, it was very, was <laughs> it was not a good scene. Yes. Not a good scene. And I'm, all I'm thinking about is how like somebody's going to get injured here and I have to go in and fish puppies out from underneath horse hoofs in, in the middle of all of this. Now my horses were actually very tolerant of, of my dogs. Thank, thank goodness. But what I, the first thing I would do would be, I would approach the situation, but I would take a deep breath and literally just do that whole exercise of standing in balance and dropping my energy into my pelvis and just getting really square over myself and calming myself down. Yeah. And it was, it, the, all of the animals would calm down in response to that. And just me being very, very fluid and cent, you know, centered and deliberate and quiet with my movements. And I could just walk in there and pick up a puppy and walk yeah. out and then go back and pick up the other puppy and walk out. And, and I learned, but if I, if I was, you know, sort of frenetic in my movements, then I would just be compounding everything. But by me being calm and staying in that, like for me, I wasn't thinking about balance, but when I think back on it, that's what I was doing yeah. because the exercise I do is that whole get into that, you know, stance, shoulder widths apart, picture your energy starting, you know, above your head and dropping down through your body into your feet and grounding you into the ground. And I, I do that all the time with my training. And I, I teach all my students to do that too, as the very first thing to do is just to get into that. Which, which brings you into balance if you, if you think about it and you yeah. do it that way. Yeah. And then, and that just quiets everything about me. And then all of my animals take that cue. And so even in that, even in that very dynamic situation, it will have an impact. I'm, I'm thinking of people listening to this, if they got nothing from this conversation, but that, that that would be absolutely worth the time spent listening. Because I think of all those situations where some things are going very wrong and 
and often what accompanies that is humans adding more chaos to the chaos. Screaming, come back yeah. here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and tensing up and 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 getting in what you said, like both both the, the horses as prey animals will see that and think there's something to worry about. And the the dogs as as predators will think, all right, we're going in. Yeah. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. Running horse, lots of fun. Yeah, yeah. And with herding, you have to be really careful because you don't want to you you don't want to add that energy. You want to keep them out of out of the, the hunt mode. Yeah. And but you you have to really be mindful that takes a deliberate mm-hmm. let me take that breath and not just run in wow yeah yeah so platforms you wanted to come you had another thought about platforms yes yes, yes. and that and it, it fits very well with what we were talking about again the human animal dynamic so when you talk you're describing that that lovely series of, of Kay Lawrence working with her dog where he, the dog first was all higgledy piggledy coming to the platform and learn to be really square and stand on the platform the, I think like props like that are so amazing for helping our dogs achieve the the balance in the confidence in their movements because they're very very predictable now a lot of the training we do often doesn't necessarily have a platform and this became onto my radar very recently with a workshop I just taught where I was going over the, the students submitted videos and started to, again, with, with balance in mind now, even though that wasn't what I was teaching, I started noticing things that I had never picked up on before. So one of them was there was a, a, a dog, she, she was teaching the dog to do a paw target where the, uh, actually in both cases, the dog was targeting the wow. human's hand. And one of the dogs was targeting with with their paw, was just reaching up and doing a paw, you know, like a, you know, kind of like a high five. And and the other dog was targeting with their nose. And in both cases, of course, human hands, like we wave our hands all over the place. And so the, the dogs were having to try and predict where the hand was. So they have to like organize their whole body to come in. And like that, that first description of the, of the targeting the, you know, the, the standing human with the, with the target on their, on on her stomach. In this case, now it's targeting a hand that is in a different position every time it's held out. Wow. And the one, the first video I was watching, the, the, the human was sitting down and was holding out her, her hand and the dog was also initially lying down and then, and then she moved to a sitting position. And sometimes the dog would hit the hand perfectly, uh, paw in hand, on the palm of the hand perfectly. But most of the time the dog was hitting the wrist or the arm or the fingers. And so the, the, the human the, uh, said to, to me, she's like, I don't think my dog understands that the, that the criteria is paw in on the palm of the hand. And when I was watching the videos, I said, well, mechanically the dog cannot, the dog was doing almost the same movement each time. But they, the way the dog was, you know, the dog is built, she couldn't yeah. retract her shoulder enough to to hit the hand when the hand was too close, and so was hitting the forearm. And so it wasn't necessarily that the dog didn't. Maybe she didn't understand criteria, but she also could not meet criteria. She physically yeah. couldn't do it. And so by having, so then I'm like, okay, well, then just always put your hand on your knee in one spot and target that, and then you can build the understanding, like you with with Panda, the understanding of this is the criteria I'm looking for with, you know, rather than just the dog was being clicked for the movement and, and thought that the, just, you know, I don't, who knows what the dog was thinking. She couldn't meet criteria, even if she, if she understood it. 
And right. so that took it out of the equation. And we work, we had to work with the mechanics of what the dog was physically able to do in that situation. And, and just simple things like shuffling back a little further and always making sure the hand was in the same position while the dog was learning the criteria. And then you can start moving the hand around a little bit, but keep in mind, what is the dog physically capable of? And then in, yeah. the, in the other situation, the other case of the nose target, the, that person wanted to use the, uh, the, the, hand, the nose to hand touch as a start button behavior. And a start button behavior, for anybody who's not familiar with it, is a behavior the dog does to let the handler know that yes, they, yes, she's she's ready to start doing the next, like the job that we're gonna about to do. So the you you the way you work it is you teach the dog to come up and you hold out your hand and the dog will nose press to the hand when the dog's ready to go. That's the dog saying, Yep, yeah, I'm I'm good to go. And what we we want because our dogs will often will try to do a, a behavior. So if, but if they're a little bit uncertain, if they're not 100% all in or, they're, or, or something's going on with them, they won't necessarily meet criteria. So if the start button is nose to center of palm and, and maybe like a nose press, the dog comes over and puts okay. his nose in yep. the palm and, and holds it for three seconds, then we know the dog is all in and ready for the next step. But if the dog comes up and sort of like bumps the fingertips, then we think we have to think, okay, well, maybe the dog's a little uncertain because they want to please. So they'll often try to do it. But if they're, maybe your dog's nervous, maybe your dog's confused, maybe your dog's not feeling well or whatever, they won't, they will, you know, maybe not meet criteria. And so we have to then go, okay, the dog's not meeting criteria. They're not ready to work. And the problem is when we have our human hands that flail all over the place, it's possible that the dog is not meeting criteria because they physically couldn't. And so sure. when we want to use that behavior as a way to evaluate whether the dog is ready to move forward or not, but we're not setting them up in a way where they can perform the behavior because we're not aware of how, you know, you're pulling the dog out of balance and it sort of topples into your hand yes. <laughs> and, and misses yep. the palm and nose pre and, you know, and just ends up brushing your fingertips, but is, but is totally in the game. Um, and wants to work, but you're thinking, oh, didn't make criteria. So, so then, then, then your start button becomes far less effective, and you and you can't read it. Pro and then you get, then then your dog's confused because your dog's like, well, I said yes, I'm ready to go, and you don't move forward, and so then your start yeah. button falls apart. So that was another thing. I was like, oh wow. So we worked on, you know, okay, well, how do we how do we have a very consistent target for the dog to perform the behavior with and that that also has me thinking going forward when we want to design start buttons for especially you know for for, for sports where you're going out and you, you have to use your body because you're not allowed to bring a prop with you into into right. the competition ring how can we do it in a way that is going to make sure that the dog has has all the information to do the behavior if they can if they can so you know hold your hand against yeah. your thigh and always in the same place or something like that to make it repeatable so i thought that was also another really interesting thing that came up since our last conversation as i've been wow. putting this into practice with my with, with training because that that leads us right back to the beginning of the conversation of this really reframing how we see the training because so often we put the onus on the dog you know, the dog wasn't understanding, you know, he wasn't understanding that he's to put his paw in the hand or, you know, the dog is uncertain and not ready to go. Well, the dog is perfectly happy to go. He's just, your hand is just moving around so much. So it changes the whole meaning and history. It changes the history 
of the training history of teaching that start button. So the start button might even end up meaning something that's completely different from what you wanted it to mean. Absolutely. And I know a lot of people uh, struggle with getting start buttons to, you know, to work because they're like, I've, I've put a start button in my training and, and I'm still not getting, you know, my dog is still like trying to, you know, will then quit on me two minutes in, or, you know, 30 seconds yeah, into the job yeah. or whatever, when I thought they did the behavior or, or vice versa. Right. And so this is something that I think is going to really help add to our ability to evaluate their readiness to work. Uh, when, yeah. when we train these types of behaviors. So loopy listening. I love that, how you, you added that into loopy training. Tell me about loopy listening. Of course you know what I'm going to do here. I'm going to make you wait until next time to find out what loopy listening is. I love all the connections that Ellen has been making between my work and hers. And speaking of connections, the Clicker Expo is coming up at the end of January. The Expo this year is going to be completely virtual. It doesn't matter where you are on the planet, you can join us for this event. So this year, instead of doing a formal slide presentation, the way I normally would do for a conference, what I'm going to be doing, weather and virus permitting, is I'm going to be visiting one of my local clients she has a new horse who she's been working with this past year. He's still very much in the early stages of clicker training, which means he's the perfect horse to work with in a demo. He's beginning to have some solid clicker training repertoire, which means that we can move past the basics, past the very beginning steps, and show you some of the things that you can do with the foundation lessons that really move the training along towards riding. And yet he's not so far along that everything looks, well, looks magical. Often when you get a team that's been working well together for a period of time, it's really hard to see all the, the internal steps. It's hard to imagine how you could go from the very beginning steps of a lesson to what you're looking at with this pair. He's right in the middle, which means that he's going to be a great demo horse. We're going to begin at the very beginning of what you would do if you were introducing a horse to clicker training. What do those early lessons look like? And of course, balance is woven into those very first clicker training lessons. It's a seed we plant at the very beginning, and we just keep nourishing it as the training progresses. So if you've been intrigued by this conversation about balance and all the interlacing that it creates through the rest of your training, I hope you'll join me during the expo for this demo. There'll be plenty of opportunities to ask questions, and I'm really looking forward to meeting people from all around the planet during the expo. So if you aren't already registered, do check it out at clickertraining.com. It's going to be just a fabulous event. So if you look at the roster of trainers who will be presenting from all over the planet, it's going to be, wow, what a great treat for us all. So that's the expo. If you want to learn more about Ellen's training, 
She has a website, ellenlawler.com, or you can visit her Facebook group, 28 Days to Better Dog Training Habits. And I'm getting my virtual clinic schedule sorted out and, and up online, so do check that out as well. I've designed a, just a great training program for you for the year, and I'll have more details about that in the next episode. So next week, we'll continue on with our conversation with Elaine, and we'll find out what loopy listening is. So stay safe, everyone, and Happy New Year. Bye.